from the epistle of St. Paul to the Galatians. Brethren, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, which is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance is by the law, it is no longer by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was ordained by angels through an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given which could make alive, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture consigned all things to sin, that what was promised to faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. From the Holy Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 17. At that time as Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then said Jesus, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. The monthly St. Charbel Healing Mass will be celebrated tomorrow evening here at 6 p.m. Father Alex Harb will be the celebrant. Our catechism classes begin on Tuesday, September the 7th. For details on how to register your children, uh, please see today's bulletin. In the bulletin, uh, you'll also find a bit of information uh, about the cafeteria roof replacement project. I figure I'll go ahead and save you the trouble of, of reading it, uh, if you like, if you don't mind, for those of you who may not pick up bulletins. But um, uh, essentially, we met uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for our pre-construction meeting. So all the documents are signed. We're clear for the loan. Uh, Y'all have been uh, abundantly generous in donating uh, to the building fund. And we got together for our pre-construction meeting, uh, I think two, t- two Tuesdays ago, if I remember right. And uh, we're met with the unfortunate news that is not uncommon when anybody is uh, doing any kind of construction these days, that materials are short and demand is long. Um, Long story short, uh, they said that the materials that we need for our roof to turn it from a flat roof that collects water to a sloped roof that removes it, um, those supplies will likely be delivered to us in February, um, which is a little farther off than we expected much farther off than we expected. And so uh, our project, as soon as the materials are ready for us, uh, they'll, be, they'll be delivered here and we will commence 
ASAP, uh, but we're not exactly sure what that timeline looks like um, as it kind of depends on, on the manufacturer and these sorts of things. In the meantime, uh, we're going to try to work and do some of the other uh, interior work that we're anticipating having to do anyway uh, on account of some of the leaks uh, as well as some other things on our campus. Uh, so I, I would ask that you uh, continue to pray for this project uh, and for it to be uh, begun and completed soon. Uh, the Lord likes specific requests, uh, and so if you want to make that a specific request of our Lord, that we might be able to begin soon on our project, uh, it would certainly be a welcome one uh, in, our, in our parish. Uh, additionally, uh, a thing that I think many of you uh, would be interested to hear is that uh, Bishop Duca uh, is, uh, is giving us the green light to start up a, a weekly Latin Mass uh, on a weekday, not just on a Sunday. Uh, so I know the Holy Father's document came out uh, a month or so ago now, uh, and didn't, everyone was wondering if we were going to have the Latin Mass at all. Turns out Bishop uh, Duca is pretty happy with how things are here, abundantly happy. Uh, and I had, I had already indicated that I was planning to do so uh, with a, a letter to him in June, indicating that we were planning to grow the schedule a bit. And after discussion with him a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was agreeable and, and uh, certainly wants to encourage uh, the Latin Mass community here in the diocese and to continue to provide for you and to nourish you with the sacraments. Uh, and so the, the restraint of only one weekday Mass is on account of me. Um, priests are a little busy sometimes, so I didn't want to start off with five days a week uh, and realize, man, that's a little much, uh, and have to scale things back. So we're going to start with one, and if, if the Lord blesses that endeavor, uh, we may grow in the future. Uh, so we're uh, looking at Tuesday evenings for the 5.30, uh, 5.30 time slot on Tuesday evenings. Um, this is in part because it's a night where uh, well, there already is uh, kind of some activity here on the campus. Uh, I know a number of folks drive from further distances away. Uh, so we've got catechism at 4 o'clock. I was thinking maybe that might be a motivating factor uh, to stay a little bit longer or to save you another drive rather than having to drive in Tuesday evening and then Wednesday evening uh, or something to that effect. And so uh, that was part of, part of the thought. It's not set in stone, and it's not on the electronic calendar for the parish yet. Uh, so if, if there are strong objections, feel free to voice them to me after Mass or to, to, to uh, get in touch with me sometime this week. Uh, but it, it was uh, kind of the, the hope and expectation that we would begin uh, the, first week of, the first week of September. So the first Tuesday of September, which is the 7th. Uh, so it's just... Uh, just a couple of weeks away. Those will be presumably low masses, uh, as well as just kind of the, the normal schedule that we will keep also with the regular feast days through the year. This Holy Mass is being offered before Catherine Lindley Spot Dodson. Can you notice today that as we began Holy Mass, uh, I prayed the collect as normal after the Gloria, and then I had the blessing of being able to say, Oremos a second time, to which everyone who's usually starting to bend their knees as to get down in the pew to find your seat for the lesson uh, immediately has to spring back up and uh, arise for another prayer, right? And the reasoning is, today is, uh, in the traditional calendar, the feast also of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. It is uh, a second-class feast, so it's of, the, of a similar rank as that of the Sunday. Uh, and so rather than simply being kind of passed over, 
Uh, we commemorate it with those, those extra prayers for the collect, for the secret, and for the post-communion. And so we have these double orations provided for us to reflect upon, even in the midst of the, the Green Sunday that we celebrate, uh, to be accented by this reflection upon Our Lady and her Immaculate Heart. The Feast of the Immaculate Heart, as such, uh, has uh, its roots in relatively recent church history. In the 1600s, which is good and recent as far as uh, many of our liturgical feasts, St. John Eudes uh, was uh, a priest after the heart of our Lord, who loved the heart of our Lord, loved the heart of Our Lady, and found a religious community uh, for the devotion to these two hearts. And particularly, he was able to get begun the liturgical feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus um, and anticipated uh, that of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. It was, a, it was a little bit while later, a little over a century later, that Pope Pius VII instituted and permitted the local feast in some diocese uh, of the most pure heart of Mary. So this was in the early 1800s. In the mid-1800s, Pope Pius IX offered the, the proper prayer for the Mass and the proper divine office. Usually this is how things start. They start on a local basis, and then you have a proper Mass for the celebration, and then you make it a universal feast. And this latter is exactly what took place in 1942, as Pope Pius XII instituted the universal feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This also coincided with him consecrating and committing all of humanity to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in the midst of the World War. And this is the, the fact, is that the devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady necessarily has with it a connection of drawing us into the heart of our Lord and to ultimately to uh, that place of peace. We can see that in the liturgical calendar, most of the Feast of Our Blessed Mother are feasts of a particular instance. We celebrate the Immaculate Conception. We celebrate her nativity. We, re- we celebrate her assumption. We celebrate the Feast of Our Lady of Lords. Today also, coincidentally, is the Feast of Our Lady of Knock. Uh, so we celebrate these particular moments in her life or particular apparitions um, that have taken place uh, in the course of, of our own earthly history. But there are only a couple of feasts, uh, to, my, to, my, uh, um, to my knowledge, there, there are tons of Feasts of Our Lady, so maybe there are some other ones hiding in there somewhere. But other than that of the, the maternity of the Blessed Mother, this is one of the only feasts that doesn't commemorate a particular event, but rather the person herself, her own heart. It celebrates the heart of Our Lady. It's important for us to recognize the gift that the heart of the Blessed Mother is for us. The simple thing is that in the fact of, uh, of Our Lady's heart, um, it is open and it is empty. And the latter sounds like a bad thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You should have a full heart, right? You should, should be full of, right? She is full of grace, right? But before she could be full of grace, she had to be able to receive this grace. The fact is that many of us have hearts full of self, full of self-will, full of our own thoughts and ideas, hearts full of attachments to the things of this world or to our plans. But Our Lady had none of these things. Her heart was entirely empty of self-will and self-desire. Rather, it was open to receive whatever the Lord had in store. And this is why she could be full of grace. This is why we are not full of grace in the same extent. We can experience grace, but not to that same amount, if you will, 
as that of our Blessed Mother. It is her heart that was open to receive Christ. As has been said by one of the saints of the church, whose name I forget, and so I deprive them of a bit of honor, it is Our Lady who conceived first in her heart before she conceived in her womb. It is she who allowed our Lord to come to her, and as St. Benedict said in the prologue of his rule, she opened the ear of her heart to hear our Lord, to hear his voice, to hear his will, and it was always open, and it was always ready to be filled with whatever was spoken. Our Lady conceived first in her heart that yes to Christ, and then she conceived him in her womb, in her flesh. Our Lady's heart is empty, but it is active. It was open to all that God had in store, and all that God gave was love, fiery love, a fearsome love that consumes all things. This is why Our Lady's heart, as well as Our Lord's, are often indicated with the flames atop. They are burning furnaces, the hearts of Our Lady and of Our Lord. And we know that simply by virtue of our own experience, although we don't have a lot of cold winters here, uh, we at least understand the, the thought of a fireplace and a furnace. We know these things. When you put something cold in a furnace or in a fireplace, it heats up. And if something has been in the furnace and you take it out, it is hot. These are simple facts of nature. But they are also spiritual truths in relation to Our Lady's heart. It is a heart that burns with love for God, perfect love for God, a love that is not in any way centered upon the things of this world other than to intercede for us. It is a heart open entirely not only to God, but also to us. And it's there that we can go to place our own hearts, whether sometimes they may be lukewarm or even cold or simply hot, but just not as hot as in the past. We desire more love of God within us. And when we go to Our Lady, we can spiritually place our hearts in hers. And as we do so, they will grow heat. The heat will come and catch us aflame. When we go to Our Lady, always we will increase in our own love for God. So too, whatever comes forth from Our Lady is also fire. It is helpful for us as we give ourselves to Our Lady to contemplate those things that came forth from her. The own few words that are contained in the Holy Gospels that come forth from the lips of Our Lady are worthy of our continued contemplation. Indeed, we have red-letter Bibles with the words of our Blessed Lord, and maybe there should be some blue-letter Bibles with the words of Our Lady highlighted in Luke as well. This is the fact, is that it is a gift for us, because the things that come forth from Our Lady's mouth, the words that she says to the angel, to Elizabeth, to our Lord, and to the servant in the wedding feast at Cana, are invitations to us to contemplate these high things, these wondrous things, these words of love that also have the power to touch us and to catch our hearts aflame. It is for us certainly to turn to Our Lady and to turn to her heart, to recognize that her heart is that place where love is poured out in abundance. It is the place where, above all creatures, God is loved most and best. It is a place of honor, and it is a place where we ought to go frequently to find rest. 
It is not to neglect our blessed Lord when we go to Our Lady. In fact, it is more and more to his honor. When we turn to Our Lady's heart, always she is close to our Lord's. Again, she is not selfish trying to keep us to herself. Always she brings us to her son. And this is the gift, that Our Lady's heart is open for us, not simply to go and to remain there, but to pass through, to pass through to that wound in the heart of our Savior, where too we might continue to be filled with adoration and worship for the one true God. And so as we offer this Holy Mass, we pray the grace of our Lord to be able to come and to turn back to him, to turn to our Lord through the heart of Our Lady, to place our heart on hers, that our hearts might continue to increase in love, though there we might find shelter, we might find peace.